I've already got the booze in the glass for anyone who's wondering, you know, for for Ian, our our viewer. <laughs> Actually, uh, we haven't been doing too bad. Yeah. You know, yeah, I think we're, you know, in the dozens of listens for episodes on the uh, in podcast format. And I mean, we're getting three or four views on YouTube. The shorts do a little better, but whatever. Yeah. Hey, welcome to Nerding Under the Influence. Yeah, exactly. If you're listening, just remember, we're not doing this for you. We're doing it because it's fun for us. (laughs) (laughs) What are you drinking? The same as last week, actually. I've got uh, some gin and grapefruit juice and ginger ale. And it's, uh, I I went looking to see if, like, is this a a combination that has been done before? And yeah, kind of. But I don't think it has a specific name, and it usually comes with lime as well, which is a, an addition that I think I might, you know, I might throw in there someday. Yeah, yeah. I've never been a gin guy. Uh, me either. I I picked up a cooler. Well, I I say I picked up a cooler. My wife, who goes shopping at the liquor store for me and buys cans based on color, which is a phenomenal uh, experiment. I highly suggest you do it. Because you'll get some stuff where you go, oh, I don't want to drink that. And some stuff where you're like, oh, that's interesting. I never would have thought of trying that. And this was <laughs> one of those things I would never have thought of trying. And I really enjoyed it. So I assume that you have some variety of cider. Uh, yeah, I got the leftovers from last Friday. Was it when we met up? Last, last Friday. Or we actually so met in a, person. Yeah, I got a Thornberry uh, Honeycrisp apple cider. Mm-hmm. And extra spicy Caesar. Ooh, can't see a Caesar, not want a Caesar. It's exactly how they market Caesars. You mm-hmm. really have to watch Letter Kenny, man. All of my quotes just go. Zoom. It's true. Yeah. I'm all right. <laughs> so, what have you been up to this week? Oh, tons and tons of golf. Too much golf, in fact. It's it's been, I mean, I live in northern Ontario, and it has been ex- just excruciatingly hot, which you know for our friends in Arizona is moderately warm. <laughs> but there was uh, there was a I was out. What's today? Today is Friday. I was out last night, um, and we we teed off at like six thirty, right? Which is like evening you'd expect it to be getting cool and it was 32 degrees and 150 percent humidity it was just i mean it was i lost 20 pounds honest to god <laughs> I believe just it. just water i drank i drank four liters of water and i sweat the, all of it straight back out it was it was crazy how about you so that was what 32 probably a humidex made it feel like 38 oh at least that's that that's like a like a, a damp what 109 or something for for Ian who's now living in California. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's Death Valley temperatures. That's what that is. Yeah, I haven't been up to much this week actually. Um, been taking a break because we wrapped up last week. There was a lot of a lot of drinking, a lot of stuff going on pretty much every every night. Uh, staff event Thursday. Met up with you the Friday. Uh, Father's Day up at the in-laws Sunday, got another whiskey there. And like, I don't drink, you know, this, this whole show is an excuse for me to occasionally have a drink (laughs) and, uh, (laughs) you know, chatting with you is secondary, right? It's just, oh yeah, it's all about the booze. 
and uh, I did all right. I don't have the stamina I used to have, you know, but I didn't, I didn't have bad hangovers. Like Thursday night, I I did a fair bit of drinking. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. It's, it's shocking when, you know, like 20 years after the last time you really tied one on, you go and have a bunch of, a bunch of, uh, a bunch of drinks with the boys. And then you think to yourself, oh yeah, I'm going to wake up in the morning. And then you, you wake up in the morning, but you don't really wake up in the morning. You know, you... It was a little slow. <laughs> yeah. It was a yeah. little slow. So this week we've been keeping it low key. Uh, a lot of couch time with Tanya, really. Just not getting up to a heck of a lot. Odd, odd week at work, too. So I was crunching for about two weeks, getting a surprise build done. And uh, shipped that towards the end of last week. And this week has just been sort of whack-a-mole with miscellaneous maintenance and some additional training for the new guy and sort of planning for upcoming work. I also have vacation coming up here in a week and change and just making sure that everything's in good shape for that. So made for a quiet week. It's going to be a busy weekend though. I got to get outside, do some yard work, uh, some catching up, big grocery shop. This is so weird for me to say, I'm actually kind of looking forward to doing yard work again. Um, like my whole, all of my youth, I, I spent at least two days a week cutting grass and, and I hated it. I loathed it. And, you know, like in my, my young adult days, it would like wherever I was, there was always some grass to take care of. It's just like, Oh God, it's such a, it's such an imposition, right? You got to go out and you got to do the thing and you got to go in straight lines. You got to do all that stuff. And I never really understood it because like grass is the grass is dumb, right? Mm-hmm. Like grass is, is literally a throwback to the days when you were rich if you had sheep to crop your grass. And I, like it just it makes no sense to me. And now I'm thinking, you know what? Yeah, I don't I don't want grass. Like the the house that we're uh that, that we bought is has got a small lawn, but the plan is to slowly sort of plant it with you know ground cover no mow stuff be friendly uh wildflowers or whatever Mm -hmm. but the idea of this is where that rock goes you know this is this is how i'm going to wind a path through whatever kind of garden we end up with that has like a great deal of appeal to me again or really for the first time because before it was man i just want to finish cutting the grass so i can get back to playing video games yeah. Uh, you know, part of it is age. Uh, mm-hmm. Another part is obviously it's different when it's your grass, right? Like, or your garden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the bees. Mm. So speaking of playing video games, uh, that's the one contribution I have for main topic discussion. I had an interesting week. Like I said, I tried to keep it low key. And I thought to myself, you know what? I haven't gotten really into a, a new game in a while or an old game or whatever, a different game. You know, I did another sort of replay of Satisfactory and kind of got to the point where I was like, okay, I'm ready to put it down. There's a big update coming out. There's a bunch of new games that I'm looking forward to in the fall, like September. Um, Starfield's coming out. That'll probably be the number one game. Uh, Baldur's Gate 3, 
Um, the expansion pack for Cyberpunk's actually looking pretty damn good from what I've seen of it. And uh, they've really, you know, they still haven't fulfilled all their promises with that game, but they've made it a good enough game that, like, I'm looking forward to some extra content. I'm I liked going, Cyberpunk. I, I, really, I really did, too. I really enjoyed it. So I thought, what the hell? I'll find a game and play it. And this happens a lot with me, and it's getting worse every time it happens. That sort of weird indecision, uh, like erectile dysfunction for making decisions about what to play, (laughs) (laughs) where I literally spent three evenings, multiple hours each evening looking through my game library, looking through basic storefronts. Hey, what's Steam got on? What's Epic Games got on? I subscribed to... uh, uh, Microsoft's Game Pass, right? For Xbox, I get all the, the PC Game Pass games like free. I could just download them. I mean, I pay for the service. Um, my Xbox is at my daughter's apartment right now, so I don't just have it to play, but like I can stream stuff onto the computer or I can play like legit PC games. And in three evenings of looking for something to play, did you th- do you think I could find something? Been there, done that, man. I've walked through Blockbuster a bunch of times going, what do I want to watch? And then just gone home and said, screw it. It's too late. Yeah. But like, you, having said that, though, I mean, you, you say erectile dysfunction for choosing games. And I think what you might need is some video agra. Oh. <laughs> do you want me to edit that one out? Uh, no. Oh, fuck it. We're keeping it. Oh no, we're absolutely keeping it. I, I'm I'm proud of that one. That's that's like dropping a dookie in the elevator. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I know that people run into that when like it's browsing Netflix, right? Because you got like a buffet of absolute garbage, and most of it, like you're only picking something to half watch it. It's wasting time. Oh, yeah, but I never thought I'd get that way with like video games. I think. <sighs> I think because I I know that it it really only happened, and this is this is kind of a funny thing because I've watched this happen over my lifetime. Is that when when I was a kid? Uh, now, mind you, I grew up in like small town northern Saskatchewan. Uh, like, if you wanted to go to the movies, you you didn't go. What do I want to watch? You went to the theater and watched what was in the theater. Mm-hmm. Right. And then sort of like in my teen years, I moved to Ontario and there was, you know, like there's the videoplex or whatever in the mall where there's like six or eight or 10 movies to choose from, which seemed like like a really cool thing. And now, I mean, like video on demand forever for years and days. And and there's sort of two things with that. The number one is it's really hard to sort through and see like, what's good? What would I enjoy? I don't know. Um, And on the other hand, because there is so much available and uh i i do recognize by the way the irony of the thing that i am about to say is that there is a demand for content to consume right which is the reason why you and i can do this and someone somewhere is listening to it but at the same time it it sort of gives you like sort of uh paralysis by analysis Mm -hmm. right where if there were two choices, you'd go, well, this one is obviously better. I'll watch that. But because there's an infinite choice, it's, well, what if the next page, if I scroll down, is even better? Right? And that's, I mean, that's almost a, uh, a metaphor for modern life. Like everything, it's like swipe left, swipe left, swipe left. Just keep swiping left because eventually it'll get better. Right? Well, 
I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Like choosing video games is the new meta, I guess. Yes. I don't know. I almost think you could probably like hit your scroll wheel on, on infinite coast or whatever, and just pick whatever comes up and play it and you'd be happy. Well, that's how it used to be for us, right? Remember when we played games, not because like we even knew what the game was. It's just, hey, this, this is, is new, new. and yeah. I haven't played it before. I'll try it. If I don't well, like it, I'll stop playing. But, you know, the, the, the onboarding process was easy. And it's not like there was a limited selection of options like in our heyday, mm-hmm. right? 20, 25, 30 years ago, like there was lots of games. Not not as quite as much as there is no, today. No, not as much as there is but, today, but enough where like you could spend all day looking at the menu. You, you could, know? you could, and I didn't, and I don't know what the 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 hesitancy is. Like I find myself the more and more that I like look at games, and I'm like, oh, that looks kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah, and then I start looking at the old games that I've played already, and that's actually sort of what happened. I went way way back. I ended up installing a, a newer, well, newer in quotation marks relative to, to when I was into it before, a newer PlayStation emulator. So the first PlayStation mm-hmm. and uh, installed Breath of Fire 3, which is a, a Capcom uh, early sort of 3D-ish 2D sprites, Japanese RPG based on a series like the first two games I absolutely loved on the Super Nintendo. And this was a game that, I mean, we were both broke as kids, so I didn't have a PlayStation when PlayStations were new. I rented one. And I'd rent it and a game that I wanted to play, and I could only afford to do it for about a weekend before I had to take it back. And you get into games like JRPGs. And oh my God, it's weeks. Yeah, I mean, if you go really hard at it, you, you might do it in four or five days kind of thing, but... I never finished it. And I've played through the first two games, the the SNES ones, like, I don't know, five times each. Hmm. And and they're fun. And uh, the second one was on my, like, list of favorite games of all time, but it wasn't good. Like, it was, it was solid. <laughs> but it is almost famous for having one of the worst localizations of all time of any game, period. Someone set up us the bomb. Oh, it's so so bad and it's bad in a way that almost is juvenile <laughs> and and the series itself even the the more well localized ones kind of have that that juvenile feel that you get when you and i didn't really notice it obviously when i was younger like i was a teenager playing them but you know when you go back to like some of your favorite fantasy books mm. uh, from when you were young and you read them and it's like Oh, wow, this feels like it was written for kids now. Yeah. Here's Anthony. Like yes. It, the Xanth books, I mean, I still enjoy them, but it's like reading his dialogue is just... <laughs> it's like, have you ever met a human? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that I've actually read much Xanth. I've read through Incarnations yeah. uh, like a couple times, but... Incarnations were were pretty good books, and they were they had some of the same thing, but it was a little bit uh, it was a little bit smoothed out in those ones. In the Xanth books, like if you think about uh, some of the conversations in Incarnations, were a little bit awkward. Mm-hmm. Um, partially, I think because I mean, because he's he's an intelligent man and he's a good writer. I think it was because he was intentionally writing for younger people 
right? So he was trying to make the dialogue really straightforward. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Xanth books are actually written for even an even younger audience. So, like, especially when they're having conversations about like romantic things, it's like no one no one ever says that <laughs> ever, right? Because yeah. it's just it's just boom, you know, like I like you, we should be friends. Yeah. Yeah. So YA, like young adult fiction, is a genre now. Yeah. Do you ever recall it being sort of identified as its own genre back then? Nope. No, and I, I mean, like there were some things, like there, it definitely didn't have its own section on the bookshelf, but there was definitely some stuff that you could tell was targeted for a, a younger audience. Mm-hmm. Um, Sunrise West pops to mind. Uh, which is my wife's favorite book. And I, I mean, like it took, it took years for her to convince me to read it. And when I, I finally did, I was like, well, yeah, this is pretty good. Yeah. Um, but like, there was lots of stuff like that, that was, that was definitely targeted at young adults, but it, it wasn't called out as such. No. And it's, I'm amazed looking back on it, like how much of it I was actually sucked into. Yeah. You know, like the majority of the fantasy I read, you know, there was the David Edding stuff, the stuff that was sort of formulaic kind of mainstream. But then I got into um, some of the less well-known authors and then some like Tanya Huff that were a little bit more well-known. And like I read some of that now and it's it's cringy in a way that like makes my skin crawl. Mm. Like, you know, some of the the. Some of the interaction between like characters that are supposed to be even quasi romantically involved almost <laughs> almost comes across as like a little rapey at times and oh, just very. very it's you know and these are like books written by women too where you know I wouldn't necessarily expect that and it didn't really I didn't notice it as much when I was reading it when I was oh, younger but no. I go back and read it uh Joanne Burton um, Sarah Douglas is another one that, uh, that name is familiar. Starman, uh, Starman, uh, series of books. Oh, okay. Um, is that Douglas spelt with two S's? I think so. Okay. I'm yeah. not hundred percent sure. Books are on my shelves downstairs. I could tell you, but anyway, yeah. there was, there was an awful lot of, and there was, oh my God, like watching through, uh, like for example, all this, the stuff that they, uh, that they watch the action movies and stuff from the eighties on red letter media where it's you, you, you look at like, okay, yeah, we get it. You know, being rapey is shorthand for being evil, but can we, can we have like, not this? Yeah. You know, like, and I think, I think it's, it's a little bit good news that we're finding it very off putting now oh yeah and it's not the the bad guy rapey stuff like i mean that was intended to be off-putting but it's when you've got like a a a romantic-ish relationship between two people that are supposed to be protagonists and it's written as if this is supposed to be like a a little too aggressive you know when somebody's being like overly assertive and i'm like not so much well i mean Hmm. you look back at, at like all of the the media and fiction that we consumed like from I mean, the fifties, I, 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 uh, I, I got, is it Robert Howard? I always forget the guy who wrote the Conan stuff. It, Robert? it doesn't matter. Um, and cause I, I, I enjoyed the movies. I enjoyed the comic books as a kid, 
you know, and yeah, it's a, it's a little bit brutal and there's, it's definitely, <laughs> it's definitely sort of, you know, misogynist angled. And, and I, I very much spot that now. I didn't when I was a kid, mm-hmm. but I, I'm trying to read through like some of the original books and I'm like, like, this is unacceptable. Like this should always have been unacceptable. Mm-hmm. And it, like in the, in the eighties, at least, I mean, like all of that stuff just kind of went, it's, it's, that's just how it is. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not, and it shouldn't be. And I think that's changing. I hope that's changing slowly, but yeah, no, I, I, I agree. There's an awful lot of the, the fiction that we consumed as teenagers. That was, have you ever gone back and watched mash? I can't remember if I had mentioned this before, yeah. but watching the interaction between doctors and nurses on mash. And I'm like, Somebody thought that this was the appropriate way to like portray mm-hmm. this relationship. I'm like, this is not, no, 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 just no. And I think like, I, I think that it was intended to be satirical, but it was played so straight that especially when I was a kid, like I looked at that and thought, oh, okay, well this is, you know, this like, is how you do it. This is, yeah. this is how you're supposed to behave. Right. It's one of the reasons that they've taken Pepe Le Pew off the air is because teaching kids that this is how you should interact is a bad idea. As adults, yeah, it's kind of funny because here's, you know, like this, oh, it's 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 weird because they don't know. And it's, you know, it's it's not it's not cute, but you can appreciate the humor as as an adult with a fully developed brain. Mm -hmm. As a kid, it's just like, oh, well, Pepe Le Pew did it, so I should do it too. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I can excuse some of my own ignorance as a youth. Yeah. What I, what I have a hard time wrapping my head around now, and I know this is a topic that like nobody wants to listen to, but, you know, the, the whole sort of politicizing and, and this fucking culture war bullshit you know woke this woke that like i watch that stuff and i read that stuff and everybody's well that's just how it was back then but i i have a hard time wrapping my head around how adults back then didn't go couldn't uh, yeah like why didn't they back then feel the way I feel about that kind of stuff now. Like I, I, I grew up in a time where that was acceptable. Like they did. Yeah. Except now we, you know? we know, I think there's got to be someone. Cause I, I know for a fact that there's like, someone started making noise um, about that kind of stuff. I mean, someone woke up. I, but like, it's not that somebody sat and taught me. This no. is right and this is wrong. Like nope. that shit makes my skin crawl. Like I, there is a like a, an instinctive, like very sort of subconscious revulsion that I have seeing that shit as an adult. And I don't know if I'm just special. And sure, some of that's probably been shaped by. I don't know, maybe seeing it being so turned off by it and, and, and just for so long wanting to be different. I really don't know what it is, but I can't imagine human beings 
Uh, Men, women, whatever side of whatever political spectrum you want to put yourself on. Just thinking that that was okay and how people should interact with each other. You know, and I'm not, I'm not even talking about like, you know, racism and, and the rest of that kind of stuff. Like just the interactions between like men and women. It's yeah, it's difficult to have. I, I can only assume that it's because everyone was drunk and uh, doing a lot of coke. You know, and I find it interesting juxtaposed with like. The over, not overprotectiveness, appropriate protectiveness over your children, your daughters, right? That idea that, you know, that boy isn't even going to look at my daughter sideways, but then you're okay doing that same shit to like a woman who was somebody's daughter, you know, like, like how can, how can that incongruity exist and you not just be like, holy shit, like it's obvious. Human beings. I'm a big hypocrite. Yeah. Human human beings are masters of hypocrisy. That's really what it is. I know uh, we're just just friggin' well, this is monkeys in nice clothes, right? <laughs> but man, yeah. Anyway, getting back to to the topic that I was originally discussing, I've started into this game. I'm like two hours into it, and I'm really struggling with the the combination of like juvenile writing that has not been translated overly well. And uh, did you get into JRPGs at all? Almost never. I think, I think I played like one and it was not actually a JRPG. It was like something that someone thought was like a JRPG. Mm. They're the older ones. Like there's, they're, they're, I mean, they're modeled after like old style D and D, really. Even the the Japanese stuff, like the mechanics aren't the same, but like the the general idea is there. You know, party combat, random encounters, and like it's it's here's a whole bunch of like grind, and here's your little nugget of reward, be it story or something cool that's happening, and then more grind, random encounters, fetch quests, you know, all of that that shiz that's that's common in even rpgs today yes paced out so deliberately slow and i was into it then Uh, it's funny as we get older i find myself with a strange combination of both more and less patience Mm -hmm. right i i find that i'm i'm willing to wait for things a little better but I'm less willing to waste time on things. Mm-hmm. Right. So if it's like, Oh, okay. I have to wait until Tuesday to do that. That's fine. But when Tuesday comes, I want to get it done and it's, I want to be done. Um, it's one of the reasons I kind of, I kind of stopped playing EverQuest is that I, I was having fun, but I was also spending a lot of time just playing EverQuest. Right. And you're literally just punching rats and hoping that they, you know, I don't know. They filled their guts with slightly more gold coins than last time. And the rats mm-hmm. get bigger and the amount of gold gets bigger. Uh, you know, and there's some sort of interesting teamwork mechanics to do on stuff. But at the same time, it's like, I have a job. Right. And as a kid, I was like, that was, that was cool. I was, I was into it. It was, it was great. But now I just, I don't have, 
But here's yeah. the funny thing. How old were you when you started playing EverQuest? Uh, I was 21. It was 1999, and I was born in 1974. So let me do some quick math. Is like uh, 25. 84, 94. Yeah, right about there. 24, 25. So an adult with a job. Yeah. Well, I think I was in college, actually, at the time. I don't know. It was a really long time ago. Old enough to know what work felt yes. like. Yeah. And maybe not seeing a game like that as work in the way you would now. Well, true. I mean, at the time, it, it, whatever job I had was lifting things and putting them down. So sitting at a desk to me was not work. Now I sit at a desk all day. It's like, mm, this is a little too much like my actual job. <laughs> I'm going to go out and walk five miles playing golf and not walk yeah. straight for another week instead. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Uh, speaking of old games, though, uh, I, I was I saw two old games sampled in some video that I saw on YouTube. I looked them up to try and figure out what they were. Um, and it was like the two that I, I sent you. It was uh, Outer Worlds and what's the other one? And it doesn't matter. Uh, so I started playing Outer World, Outer Outer Worlds, and I'm like, huh, this is basically cyberpunk before cyberpunk happened, kinda, right? Like not not with the aesthetic, but the the sort of the idea of hey, the corporations run everything. I'm like, ooh, this is not a new idea, um, nope. and. I've been reading Kurt Vonnegut slowly because it's a, it's a little bit of a slog to get through. Um, and it's like, huh, he wrote this in 1950-something, and it is literally dystopian corporate run. Oh, so this is this is not new. It's uh, It's been going on for a while now. Just, so what have um, you been thinking of the game? Um, so far, I don't mind it. It's a little bit... Uh, I'm I'm not very far in. I mean, I literally just I I did the little tutorial bit and then mm -hmm. you know got to town. And it it's it has that that same problem that every video game has, where it's entirely obvious that you're the protagonist, right? Because everybody's just sitting there waiting for you to talk to them. And it's like I have a mission for you. Really? Why? Like I've I've literally never gone anywhere in my life and someone said I have a mission for you, like this is not a, it's speaking of you know stilted writing and weird conversation like that doesn't that doesn't happen, mm -hmm. so it's a little off putting when it's like hi we've never met before but would you like to retrieve some documents for me, uh, but I mean like the controls are fine the game is fine the graphics are fine the sound is fine, the voice acting is fine. I, I'm yeah. interested to find out what happens next. I'm just having trouble finding time to actually play. I wonder if that's the reason why I like Mass Effect so much. When you think about your your sort of typical hero's journey, right? Mm -hmm. The ugly duckling. Yada, yada, yada. Yes, those conversations don't feel natural. Like they they sort of pull you right out of it. Like... But the game needs to happen. Yes. Where you look at a game like Mass Effect, it's almost like the opposite of what I would recommend for D&D characters. Here's a character that has some history and everybody has a reason to talk to him. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, they did. That's one of the things, and I think I've mentioned this before. I'm not sure if I've mentioned it in the context of, of this show, is that like the uh, I really enjoy the Marvel superhero movies, all of them. The good ones, the bad ones, the ones that everyone on the internet hates, I enjoyed. I, do, I, I don't think that they're like Hall of Fame worthy, but every single one of them so far has been entertaining. Um, the only sort of objection that I have to most of them, and the reason that a lot of them don't work, is because you start with here's how like the origin story like every single yeah. one of them is the origin story and then it's like well it's been five years so we better do the origin story again to remind you of what the origin story is that we already know about mm-hmm. i mean six-year-olds who have literally never heard of spider-man before know how spider-man became spider-man we don't need to show it again or you can show it in a 30 second montage and now let's get on to some kind of an adventure well, and that's the good thing about the the Marvel Spider-Man, at least, is that they didn't show it again. Nope. He just showed up. Yeah. Was already kind of doing it. I, I think they did do like some kind of a flashback, I think, for the nope. Tom Holland thing. Nope. There was just the, the one scene that was, was it in um, Civil War, where uh, Tony Stark comes over and sitting in his bedroom and grilling him about being Spider-Man and, you know, he just says yeah it happened and then when you've you got the power to do something and then you don't it's on you that's why with great power comes great responsibility yeah which is which is a you know what i have no problem with that line but the the delivery was oh yeah 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 the i actually haven't watched through all of those spider-man movies the the um uh yeah evil dead uh, guy um, yeah, yeah. Um, God, you know I'm, what? I'm though? Having one of those those oh yeah days you're, where I can't remember anything. Oh, dude, you're old. Your brain doesn't work anymore. Tobey Maguire, Andrew yeah. Garfield. Sorry. Yes. Well, the director. What was the director's name? Um, Sam Raimi. Yeah. Sam Raimi. The you know what though? The absolute blessing of Sam Raimi having done the Spider-Man movies is that Bruce Campbell made a cameo. Bruce Campbell should have had thousands of thousands of of jobs like everything that he's ever in he just owns the screen and yes he's a cheesy actor but that's okay like he's perfect for play and there's an appetite for that kind of stuff why has he never Mm -hmm. had a leading role it doesn't make any sense yeah i don't know briscoe county jr yes that's one thing that kind of came to mind um you know what he was really good in though is burn notice yeah i don't know if you've ever watched that show no he he played as like a supporting character in that named Sam Axe, who was like an ex marine, and he just always he was he was a ladies' man. I don't think you ever saw him with an actual lady, but he was always like he was always driving a, a different new car, mm-hmm. and the different new car was one that he had borrowed from a lady friend, right? Like he, he was just he always had a new sort of sugar mama, and it was just it was so perfect, <laughs> like he was just perfect for that role, yeah. and he nailed it. And he, he is a guy now, you know, I mean, I've, I've loved almost everything he's done, whether it was obviously the Evil Dead stuff. I mean, I quote yeah. Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness still almost daily. <laughs> this is my boomstick. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> he also had a role. Uh, I don't know if he showed up in the, the Hercules series, but he was definitely on yes. Xena a fair bit as the character. 
Yeah. I really enjoyed that. And he was one of those actors. Did you ever, when you were young and, and into like a lot of fantasy books and stuff like that in the early days of the internet where like you'd jump on GeoCity sites to join fan communities for the books and like you'd spend most of your time casting who should be playing which parts in the movies. Oh my God. Yeah, I did a bit of that. He was somebody that was almost always on a list for, for almost anything. You me. know what I would I would love to see him play I mean he's a little bit old for for it now but I would love to see him play James Bond. <laughs> Can you imagine if you remember like the first uh the first um Casino Royale that came out was with oh was it David Niven? I can't remember but it was it was yeah, a farce, yeah. right? Like it was a it was a parody of and I think that uh, Bruce Campbell as James Bond in a uh, Austin Powers style James Bond movie would be absolutely mint. I could see it. Yeah, I think it would be absolutely like that would just I mean, that would you'd be laughing the whole way. It's just he would show up on screen and you'd be like, all right, here come the laughs. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I don't really, I didn't get into any of the newer, like Ash versus the Evil Dead or the, the new Evil Dead stuff that's out now, um, where he's been older. So the only things I've really seen him in is when he does the occasional cameo in a Sam Raimi thing. Yeah. Like um, Multiverse of Madness, the Marvel movie there, the second Doctor Strange one. He see? was the, did you see that movie? I have. So just the, the, the random dude selling pizza balls in that one alternate. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes, I do. Yeah. I remember him showing up and, yeah. but I was, I was casting back in my mind trying to remember like, where was he in that movie? Yeah. Oh, he's, uh, yeah, he's, he's the perfect every man. He would be really good uh, in, and this would be like, it would go right into his fan base and would probably pass muster on the, uh, on the workshopping to start it. Um, you know the the reboot of Night of the Living Dead or whatever it was where they were stuck in the mall. Mm-hmm. He would be really good as that, or like in a in a, a character like in Last of Us. Mm-hmm. Hey, right. I'm going to throw back to the first episode. If they were to do a Firefly remake and it oh. didn't involve Nathan Fillion. Like if, yeah. if maybe Fillion was going to be a showrunner or something and he wasn't going to actually play Malcolm Reynolds. If this was going to be another crew, Bruce Campbell, like an older kind of grizzled, too yep. old for this shit. Yep. He'd be almost perfect. I, you know, I think, I think he could for that really, world in setting. Yes. I think he would really, really play well into that. Cause he has that, that exact perfect sort of, I can be serious, but also like when the joke comes up, I'm, I'm in on it. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know that I've seen, you know, the, the one thing that Firefly had was a heart as well. Yeah. And it'd be interesting. I don't know that I've seen a lot of that out of him. I'm sure he's quite capable of it. Like, he's a super talented guy. Yeah. He was he was very good at actually that kind of thing on, on Burn Notice. Like, as yeah. Sam Axe, he was, yeah, he was, he was the consummate good guy. You know, and it, it very much was in that that kind of vein of like, I'm too old for the shit and I don't have time for the shit, but you asked me for help. So here I am. I'm going to bitch about it the whole time. But, you know, and he it, like he nailed that role. 
So yeah. All right. We're starting a petition now then. Let's do it. Reboot Firefly. I'm in now. You know who else I would really <laughs> love to see on Firefly is Allison Hannigan. Yeah. Not on the crew. I think she would she would be like, you know, uh, Queen Bee at the top of the pyramid, sending them out on jobs or something. Or or even better, if because do you remember the one episode where she got turned into a vampire? I can't remember if it was an alternate universe or something, but she was she was evil and bad. And it, it, <laughs> she was just perfect. So she would be, she would be ideal as the sort of uh, ongoing sort of big bad, you know, the. Uh... So just to clarify, are we just doing Buffy in space? Why not? Okay. Why? Yeah, I, I, I'd be down for that. I mean, again, it's hard to talk about the guy nowadays, but you know. Mm-hmm. The Joss Whedon, early Joss Whedon kind of shit is what what made Firefly what it is. That and the incredible casting. That it, you know what I think it was probably more the incredible cast than anything else. So I mean, if you oh, can yeah, find, yeah, yeah. if you can find the um, the chemistry in the cast, I think that's much more. But the the writing was good, you know, it was and they good. made some sure. really intelligent choices. And. Yes, the cast had to execute it really well, and they did. You know, the the. Anyway, listen to episode one. We don't need to get into it all again. Damn it! <laughs> yeah, go back and listen to our entire back catalog. It should take you about five minutes if you fast forward through the boring parts. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh... <sighs> so did so... we cover that topic? I don't, I don't, know I don't even remember what the topic was, man. The the weird <laughs> video game selection, commitment, I, anxiety, I, erectile dysfunction issue. See, seriously, here's what you should do: is you should have someone else choose a game for you to play, and then you should play it. Well, so you mentioned as a potential topic for the show, and then I asked you what games you wanted, and you didn't respond. Hey, we should play a game or or a game that we've already played and review it. All right. Well, so let's uh, do that for next episode. Let's pick a game right now. All right, well, give me give me 10 seconds because I have to load up Discord. How do I not have Discord loaded? Discord is always running on my computer. Because um, I, I sent you the... Oh, and Discord wants to update. Uh, I sent you a, a message last uh, week to say... You got me gin the drunkening. Like, that was the response I got to, hey, do you have any games in mind? Oh, yeah, I was... Uh, I may have been uh, somewhat inebriated during that conversation take no responsibility for my actions uh no i sent uh fallout new vegas mm-hmm. um, now that's have... not not a game that you can play in a week in review oh all right well um i want it is a game you... that we should play but you know yes how about um maybe we could do like sort of an ongoing uh thing because i don't think that we're probably going to be able to fill an entire show with a game review no 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 it'd just be a oh, no, main me. topic when we don't have anything let's um why don't we go back and do like the original fallout which i have not played i've never mm. finished it um and i haven't played i'll bet you in probably 20 years 15 at least and i actually have the fallout cds i think which so, I borrowed from Kent and never returned. Yeah. Sorry, Kent. <laughs> Sorry, Kent. Um, so I, I know that I, like I installed them at one point in time, 
and tried to play them, I don't know that I ever they ever stuck. Well, I mean, let me let it... me ask you the question just okay. to see how this is going to go. Last year, I went back and tried to play Baldur's Gate one. Oh God, I just uninstalled it, and it was like, oh God, like yeah, self imposed dental surgery. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean that that might be the the sum total of the review that we get to next week is yeah I loaded it up I took one look I barfed and then I went and you know jumped off my balcony and if that's the case then that's the case I mean but the other thing we can do is we can look at it like this is our actual job <laughs> can you imagine trying to make a living doing this Uh I'd lose mm. some weight. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I, I like. I'm open to other suggestions too. No, I'm just no, thinking... no. I'm I'm open to I'm open to follow one again. It's a pretty big game. If you want to do it justice, uh, I'm not sure about compatibility. We might have to. How we might even have to DOS box it. Uh, maybe I don't think. I, I good old games has a copy. I think. Yeah, that doesn't always mean it'll run on new stuff, though. Um, Fallout. It is, in fact, on GOG. And it's 75% off. It's $2. <laughs> oh, I may just buy it then. Yeah. Uh, I probably should, you know. Nah, I'll just do it. I hope I'm logged in as me. Oh, you're buying it now? I'm buying it now. Well, it's two dollars, man. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, I'm gonna have to add a credit card, so I'll just put it on my wish list. Yep. Riveting for the listeners. Yes. Let me just type out my credit card. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and the secret code is Pentium. Okay. So I, I have another game. We'll we'll do two. Okay. We will try Fallout One. All right. Uh, I want you to download an emulator. Oh, God. Okay. NES emulator. And we are both, because I know this is a game we've both played. We don't need to play it together, but let's honestly give 18 holes of Lee Trevino's Fighting Golf. Oh, hey, is that? I, I actually have a Wii. Would that be on the Nintendo portion of that? I don't know. Just play it on your PC, man. Okay. I'll see if I can find it. it. Not necessarily right now, but I'll put it in the thing. Yeah, just grab like emulation station or something. Then you're going to have most of the emulators. And I, I've probably got a ROM kicking around. I own the game at one point. This is absolutely legal. I totally dumped the ROM myself. <laughs> uh, okay. and i'm lending you the rom and will not be playing the game while you're making use of said rom you are to return the rom to me so that i can play the game and review it as well you want to know something funny i'll bet you i can actually check out the uh the, the uh, like a nintendo from my local library yeah our, our library is so cool there's just like there's just so much to see and do check out your local library learn to read it's it has it. been forever since I've been in a local library. 
it's it has changed. I'll tell you that. Remember, remember the days and the, and the tropes, and you've probably seen it. Like you don't see it in modern movies anymore, but you see it in old movies where like people walk into a library and go, "Hey, I haven't seen you in a long time," and somebody goes, "Shh." Libraries are not quiet anymore. Not even not even a little. Librarians is still awesome though. So support your local librarian. There you go. So, yeah, and you should watch one. Them. Lee Trevino's fighting golf. Okay, we'll we'll give it a go. Uh, speaking of librarians, you should check out the movie Library the Librarian with. Oh God, what is his name? He was in everything. You know the guy with the face. Um, he was on Scrubs. Was it Scrubs? He was on one of those doctor shows anyway with the hospital with all of the all of the um, inappropriate things. His name will come to me any moment now. Okay, so is this the librarians? Uh, with... That's the TV show, okay. um, which had some. Uh, we. Uh... Quest for the Spear? That was the, the second one. Quest for the Spear? Yes, but that is that is the, the series. That's the second movie. They okay. are cheesy. They are very, very cheesy, but they are very much worth a watch. Okay. Uh, the Librarians, The Librarian 3? There's a Librarian 3? Apparently. Wow. The Librarian 3, The Curse of the Judas Chalice. Huh. Interesting. Anyway, the premise is the guy is a, a librarian or he no, he does he doesn't know what he's going to do. He's been like in graduate school for like 30 years or something and his mom's pressuring him to, to get a job so he gets a an interview at the local library to become a librarian and he gets the job and it turns out he's actually the custodian of like Excalibur and various things like that in the basement traveling all over the world to try and keep artifacts out of the hands of the evil. There is basically Indiana Jones with a healthy dose of dose of cheese. I'd honestly never heard of it, man. It, it is underrated. It has a little bit of a cult following, but I don't think it ever made it big. Hmm. I so. will check it out. Hey, do you want to get into some table talk? Sure. Let's do that. I'm going to actually intro the segment this time because I've stopped doing that. Okay. And I probably should for, you know, a potential first time listener. Uh, table talk is a part of the show where we chat about things like Dungeons and Dragons, all things tabletop. Uh, and today I have some questions for you. Well, shoot. So your game is on hiatus for the summer and the game that we play together is on hiatus for the summer. We talked yes. about planning some one-shots. Yes. Uh, threw it out in my one-shot channel, but we may have some other stuff going on the side, and I thought it would be worth talking about one-shots. Um, for those that don't know, uh, a, a one-shot traditionally is uh, organized tabletop or Dungeons & Dragons game that's meant to be played in a single session. Set those sessions often run four to six hours uh, to get them in, but the idea is it's sort of a one and done thing. Uh, 
most of the one shots I've been in or, or run have a habit of turning into multiple sessions. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> uh, the ones that I've been organizing with that, um, uh, lucky sevens thing have, have all been comfortably four hours and they've been fun. So my question is, what do you think makes a good one shot? A lot of it is about the players. Um, and I think, I think it doesn't get enough sort of traction that the, the game master dungeon master is a player too. So it is, it's one shots are not something that I've had much success with, with a new group, right? Mm -hmm. Like when you, you start up and you're like, okay, we've never played together before. One shots generally don't come off well, mostly because a lot for me, what makes a one shot really good is the jokes that come out of it that you're going to be telling for the next 20 years. Mm -hmm. Right. The, uh, the stories where you go, Hey, you remember that time? Um, the other thing that I think makes a, a really good one shot is that uh, you can play characters in a one shot that you you can't play in a in a campaign because they're annoying as shit. Like they're mm -hmm. they're like you you can have a a one joke character. Like here's the joke, yep. right? And it lasts for four hours. Mm -hmm. And after that, the only reason it, it's good though is because you know at the end of four hours. We're, we're done with this joke. Yeah, you don't get to the point where you piss everybody off. So when everybody's like, hey, you remember the time you did that thing for 20 years? You're looking back on it fondly. It's not, yes. oh, this asshole that it was in my main campaign. He just, yeah. Forever. And I would argue that in a one shot, you really should encourage that. That's one of the things that I tried to do with that Lucky Sevens group was like, I don't. I don't want a lot of backstory for these characters. Lean on the tropes. You know, this is the one time when it is appropriate to play Legolas, if that's what you I'm want to do. I'm Batman. Or Batman or or whatever. Uh, because they're disposable, they won't wear out their welcome. And those things that are legitimately funny in small doses have just enough breathing room to, to work in a one shot. Yep. Um. One of the things that I've been trying to do with one shots, and I don't know if it's um, if I've been able to do it successfully, especially with this lucky seven stuff is like, there shouldn't be a lot of story. I don't think no. like, it should be an easy setup so that when you start the one shot, you're jumping right into it. You're playing John you know? wick. John wick yeah. is an ideal one shot. Yes. You know, I don't think unless the one shot is designed to be. And this is the other great thing about one shots, like you can do a one shot that is just like, hey, we're doing we're doing a spy movie like this is espionage and sneaky, sneaky, stabby, stabby kind of shit. Limited combat, you know, yeah. or we're doing a heist or. You know, you can have something that is very complicated mechanically, but simple from a story perspective. Like, hey, everybody's at the table. Here's the intro. And uh, I don't know. You didn't actually play in any of those Lucky Sevens one shots I no. did. No. But my basic setup, what I wanted to, to lean on was uh, the Expendables movies. Yep. Right? Like, here's these sort of worn out kind of like tropey 80s action heroes. 
you know, they start the the movie with an action scene, then just the absolute smallest bit of setup plot happens. And then like there's more action or more silliness or more, you know, like something that encourages the one liners, you know, the, the stuff that again would be annoying in a, in a regular campaign. And, uh, the first one shots I did, I kind of did a few over a weekend. It was basically like the setup was you're part of this team. Yeah. You know, that like your job is to, to basically do the impossible. And I set it up. Lucky seven is the, dun, the characters dun, are, dun, yeah. dun. The characters are are forever level seven. That's kind of my sweet spot um, where it's easy enough to sort of pick up a character for a one shot without having to worry about 20 levels worth of character mechanics and progression and, and, and whatnot. But you still uh, but have some cool shit to do. Yeah. You've, you've got a, a decent tool belt. Um, and it's easy to, you know, like throw stuff at you that could be a challenge if challenge is what you're going for. Uh, but the essential setup was kind of like you would see at the beginning of an Expendables movie where they're flying into somewhere on their shitty little plane. You're on an airship and you basically skydive into whatever the situation is. Here's the basic mission brief. You know, here's a, 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 a like potion of feather falling and <laughs> jump <laughs> and then get into it. Right. But, you know, and I would I would what little setup for the story I would do in advance, just kind of like, here's a mission brief. Like, you know, you're brought in, here's the situation, you know, people have gone missing here. Or in this case, you know, this outpost is just everybody that goes in never comes out again. So go and in. We've sent <laughs> another team in and, and they didn't report back. So it's up to you. You know, here's your, here's your parachute or in this case, potion jump, figure it out, you know, and yeah. like, don't die because we can't come down and get you. Yes. Yes. Your mission and you will accept it. <laughs> yeah. And that's the, the other thing about one shots is I think they need to be like when, when you're DMing a campaign, something that I've been trying to be more cognizant of is like not providing a story, but providing a framework and let the story happen within it. And, yeah. you know, uh, let the, the story kind of come out of the player's decisions. In a one shot, I think for it to not get bogged down, you almost need to take the opposite approach. Like here's some, some rails, you know, like yep. mechanically speaking, you're in a hallway and you've got one direction to go. Yes. You know, it's bumper bowling. Yeah. Um, so the other question then tacked onto the end of this is, do you have any interesting ideas that you would like to explore for a one shot? be it interesting settings, interesting game mechanics, or. I did actually sort of put this one out there last week and I, I, <clears throat> I may have bitten off a little more than I can chew, but I, I'd kind of like to run a cyberpunk adventure. Um, Cause I, I enjoy that setting, but I, I think it might, it might tie in a little too closely with all of the things that I have been thinking about our dystopian presence uh, as opposed to a dystopian future. <laughs> So, so this reminds me of something I wanted to mention. So I'll let you keep going, but I just, I want to put this bug in your ear first. What do you think about new systems? Like if you've got people that are playing D and D all year and they're taking a break and you're trying to fill time for one shots, how do you feel about trying to throw a new system in there? Particularly one that's, 
that's complex, like a like Cyberpunk Red or something like that. Because it's it depends on the group. Like for you and I, I think it would be it's fine, right? Yeah. Because well, I don't know if it's fine. It means that we'll probably lose some sleep because it'll be like, mm-hmm. ooh, what if I did this? And I'd like to read that, and I'll read the, all the books and all of the things, and then I'll go on Reddit and figure out what they've got. Um, for for your average casual player, I think it makes much more sense to just stick with the mechanics that you're familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, like re- reframe things if you need to to make them fit, but just like mm-hmm. like his the the five E system will will work for anything and. It, I see a lot of just uh, sort of descriptions from people about like, oh, you know, this power and that unbalanced and this thing and that thing. You know what? Like, it's literally just an excuse to roll dice. Like, yep. I we we went camping one time and we did. Um, a, a friend who I mean I've kind of lost touch with. She did a, a a sort of zombie. We we didn't have any dice. We had no papers. We had no no pencils. No nothing. It was literally just here's a situation that happens. What do you do? And then she just sort of resolved it. And it was a, a, a like, there wasn't really any combat as mm-hmm. such. It was really just a sort of cooperative storytelling, which is like, it was really a lot of fun, mm-hmm. right? Like we, we had a couple of wobbly pops and we sat around the campfire, you know, and she said, like, basically the start was, all right, you're, you're you know, you're driving downtown in Belleville um, and like everyone around you drops dead. And then they rise up and, you know, do the ah, zombie thing. What do you do? Right? Like, what do you do? And it just it just went from there. Like, everybody's like, okay, well, we should do this. And, like, we, we had conversations about, like, what should we do if there's a zombie uprising? You know, which is a very real possibility because, you know, I don't know about you, but I've seen mushrooms. Yeah. Yeah. They could invade your brain and turn you into a zombie. Now you did, uh, you took a stab at, it wasn't, I don't think it was meant to be a one shot. It was meant to be sort of a, maybe a small, like mini campaign of an interesting setup like that, where we were playing ourselves Yes, in the town where you live. Mm-hmm. And was there any setup before dragons attacked and ate you? No, we were sitting. No, we, well, it's a little tiny bit. Yeah, it yeah, was. Just, we were we were sitting in my apartment playing Dungeons and Dragons when suddenly yeah. you hear like thunder outside, and and here's a picture of literally the yeah. the view outside my window with like flames superimposed on it. Um, and then it was like, oh my god, what are we gonna do? The building's on fire. We have to get out. And we got out. And as soon as we went out the front door, because I'm DMing the thing, so I'm not gonna put my character in there. I get eaten by a dragon. <laughs> and then you guys got to go on from there. There was, I think we did some rudimentary dice rolling, but it was basically just. Yeah, you a had coin. a super simple, simple system. I think, oh man, I can't remember. I think it was like a three stat system or something where it's basically. Physical, this, mental, social. Yeah. Yeah. This one, you know, this one's a D8. This one's a D6. This one's a whatever the other one was. And yeah, that was, that was your character build. Yeah. That that it's, was fun. It's simplifying the system, like super, super simple. Mm-hmm. It works really well because you don't, it depends though. Like it depends on what kind of a game you want to play. Cause like there's, oh, yeah. you can play super crunchy systems and they're fun too, because then you do, it's all about the math of the system and not mm-hmm. about how well I'm, 
But but in in the context of a one shot, if you're going to stray away from the system you're regularly playing, I think that's the way to do it, right? Like this is a system that I can I can teach you in thirty seconds so that we can start playing the game because it's a one shot. Yes. Or you have to commit to, yeah, it's a one shot, but we're going to stretch it over two days. Mm -hmm. Like cyberpunk, for instance, like if if you're interested in running a game in, in a cyberpunk system, I'm not sure that a one shot does that justice, right? A, maybe it doesn't lend itself well to, to learning the system, but B, the material lends itself well to like, there's just a little bit more meat there. It's the kind of thing where it's like four hours isn't enough. Maybe you wouldn't want to deal with, it's like running Curse of Strahd, right? Where it's like, okay, spending a year in Barovia, a bit of a slog just tonally and and Cyberpunk might have the same sort of pitfalls, but like a a four or six session mini campaign. Yeah. I'm in, man. Sign me up if you're running one of those. Uh, I'll have to look at the system. I haven't even looked at the system. I don't know what it's like, but I mean, we could very much do that kind of a, a, thing with like d20 modern or or just use 5e and go all right we're gonna cross off all of the skills on the list and fill in the I, ones you know what i think for like a, a mini campaign like a four or six like session thing like it's worth learning a new system then like yeah. you can take the time this is a commitment you can do a little bit of reading in advance as players hey if you're if you're joining this game here's your homework here's your homework and, and i think that's fine you know i try and avoid most of that for for a one shot but yeah, no, for a one shot, yeah, it it very much has to be. You got to hit the ground running because you're you literally are jumping out of a plane. I I really like the and I, I know this is oh my god, this is so stereotyped and and like super. Uh, I don't even know what the word is, but I really like the idea that you wake up in a cell. You don't know how you got here. You know, and there's six of you in the same cell. You don't have any stuff. You're dressed in rags. <laughs> The door's locked. What do you do? You know, it's Limited a great backstory for the character. Yeah. Yeah. Just like you, it's ideal because you don't remember who you are. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you d- sort of describe yourself to your companions around the table and everybody gets to know themselves and their party at the same time. And you don't have to do because one of the problems with I've always had with campaigns is like, how do you know each other? And I have sort of taken the route most of the time of saying, you know, like we're starting at level four. You've been adventuring together for a while. You know each other. Um, Because like I've done the sort of. You know, you all meet at the inn and, you know, this something and what do you do? And I go pick a fight with somebody and that's how you meet or something. And it's just like, okay, it's the it's the origin story problem all over again. Mm-hmm. It's like we've we've been there and done that. Like we've done this before. If you're a new player, then introducing them in such a way that that's how they get introduced to the group. That makes sense when it's like, here we are, people who have been playing the game now for, you know, three or four years do we really want to do introductions again? Not really. I don't anyway. <laughs> the same way I don't I don't want to keep track of money, right? Like I don't I don't want uh, Dungeons and Dragons to be an accounting exercise. 
Well, I bought I bought three pitons, which are three silver each, which means I deduct from there and carry over to here. But you know what? There's some amortization on my backpack, so yeah, that comes out over here. And then like, like why do I want to? I, I play a fantasy game and do my taxes at the hey, same time. According to Gary Gygax, that is the game. It it is. <laughs> it is. I mean, God bless Gary for giving us the game, but I'm very glad that it it evolved from there. Yeah, and all of my games are basically the same with regards to money. It's like, yeah, 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 you got a recurring income. That's part of why I set this sort of job thing up. Yeah. You have enough money to do most of what you want to do. All I want to think about is like, hey, can I do this crazy, buy this expensive thing? Like, is it plausible or not that you have that much money? All right, yeah, you can do it. (laughs) Yeah, or... You you find it, but it's going to take six weeks or something for them to build it, or you know it's just not available. They have to order it in, you know. Yeah. And Amazon is like an actual river in this world. They have to paddle it a good long distance before it gets to you. <laughs> so one of the things that I would like to achieve with one shots, and and it's something that I struggle to work into the the games that I'm playing regularly, is those sort of and I'm going to use the term epic in like quotation marks. Finger uh, quotes. But those sort of epic, cinematic would be a better term. Yeah. Those cinematic encounters, and they don't always need to be combat encounters, but those things that are difficult to just pull out of your ass, especially if you're playing remotely using a virtual tabletop uh, yeah. type thing. But let me give you an example of of what I'm talking about. A couple of examples. Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom, minecart scene, or something similar to that, right? Where you've got like minecarts on rails that are parallel and people are being pulled back and forth and you've got these obstacles. You know, the kinds of things where like you're encouraging the use of other D&D mechanics and stats and different types of roles. It isn't about- Yeah, it isn't necessarily about bashing things, but it also encourages you to get really creative, right? Like, here's a situation. You guys as players are going to come up with solutions to it that I would never have thought of. So there's no point trying to script the epic moment, but create that sort of more complicated, like, physical space that's a little bit more dynamic, you know, rather than a static map and a VTT and, oh, well, there's, you know, a couple of different levels here, you know, elevation here, stuff like that. Something that just like that I can move stuff around or like, you know, ship to ship combat in the air. Going back to my um, Lucky Sevens thing, talking about the airship and skydiving in, you know, I think the next one shot I want to run with them is like this dynamic, just sort of air sequence the basic setup for it. And, you know, this may be minor spoilers. I haven't actually figured any of this out yet, but I like the idea of like, okay, you've done this like skydiving thing a couple of times, but now you're having to skydive through a sky that's filled with flying beasts that all want to eat you. And it's, you know, you want to like get down. And I, I kind of envision this combat encounter that's happening just as you're falling. You attract some of these flying creatures, or maybe you land on some of them and try and take control of them, or whatever it is you want to do. I take my ponytail and I plug it into the flying creature, but that's also how we have sex. Yes, exactly. This 
this feels weird. <laughs> <laughs> no, just this sort of dynamic situation where like you don't have the the XY mobility so much because you're falling straight down and you know with the, the length of turns. If you're saying you're falling fifteen thousand feet, like that's going to last the length of a good sort of combat encounter. Uh, but you know, having to think about just not hitting stuff as you're falling down or stuff's just kind of appearing underneath you. Things are trying to like swoop down and eat you as you're going and you can't use your parachute or your, your potion until you get to the bottom. Because if you use it in advance, you're just, you're a carrot dangling in front of all of these things, right? Like you're, yep. you're just easy food. It would be interesting too, to do something like uh, the, uh, the scene in Firefly where they're like heading for the planet. I think it was in the movie. You know the one I mean? Where they're they're going through all of the shit. Maybe it was in Star Wars. I don't know. It's a trope in in these sort of space movies, though. That like we have to get to the planet, but there's combat going on, so we have to dodge through all of the the sort of ship to ship combat. That would be an interesting thing to to have to. Fall well, and that's as well. essentially what this is, right? Yeah. But you know, instead of a, a ship, you're you're a, a fleshy body falling at terminal velocity <laughs> through wings and Everything. teeth and and whatever, right? To get to the you, bottom to basically land in like, you know, the anus of something that's spawning these creatures, you know, <laughs> it's so that you can ass, go in and time for lubrication. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like that. that's that's kind of the, the framework for I think what I've got, you know, I'd like to do for my next next one shot in that Lucky Sevens environments to encounter session, the yeah. aerial scene. And then what happens once you penetrate? <laughs> <laughs> Pun intended. Yeah, you know, the belly of the beast, literally. Yes. <laughs> you know, this, oh. whether it's an ancient dragon or some sort of shadow beast that's spawning stuff, but it's like buried underground, right? And it's just kind of like spitting all these creatures up. And like, you got to stop oh that from happening. But you've got oh. all of these creatures flying around that you got to get through first. <laughs> oh, my God. That's where Slurm comes from. Gross. Right. <laughs> Yeah, but that's that's a great thing about that setup. Like literally, the the belly of the beast or inside the the demon's ass or whatever is it can get silly. Yes, yes, that's another that's a, a very very nice thing about one shots is that you can get silly and it works. You should get silly. Yeah, in most it's, cases, it's it's an excuse to do something ridiculous. You know, like all of the all of the sort of movie tropes and 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 silly jokes and things. Where it's like, are, like in a, in a campaign, you'd be like, "Are you sure you want to do that?" Because you're probably going to die. Whereas in a one shot, it's like, "Yeah, I'm going to give you a little bit of latitude because this might be funny." Yeah, yeah. No, that sounds great, man. I'd actually like to get in on that that next Lucky Sevens thing. Yeah, I um put a poll out. Uh, hey, if anybody's listening and wants to do a D and D one shot, uh, uh, hit us up by uh, email at podbag at nerdingundertheinfluence.com. Maybe we can find some room for you. There you go. Uh, looking at the the last couple weeks of July, um, man, I, I got to look at the poll. It looked like do do do. Sorry, I know riveting. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> it's it's even better if you're watching the video. Yeah, weekend <laughs> afternoons sometime in the last half of July seems to, to be the favorite right now. Uh, as with the last sessions I've done, I'll probably like plan a few sessions because um, I don't like to run big groups. Like four or five is kind of my sweet spot. 
Yeah. Um, especially for a one shot where you want it to be kind of snappy. Yes. Um, I don't want to, how people do like eight in a, at a table. I just don't know. Uh, you have to have eight very well-behaved people. And I don't know that I've ever met eight well-behaved people in my life ever. All right. We're getting into the season now. Is there a guitar somewhere near your desk? Uh, I've got one in a case over there. Oh. Uh, my acoustics are downstairs right now because I took them to that staff event that we had last week. But I do uh, yeah, I could have sworn that I heard the reverberation of a guitar when you opened that on your desk. Oh, no. Um, I'm actually sitting on a guitar amplifier right now, though. Oh, Doesn't okay. Have, uh, oh, it's got a, got a built-in reverb, so spring reverb. Oh, maybe that's maybe that heard. was it. Could be. You really should get a chair. Oh, I do have a chair. The problem is, like, I'm I'm a big guy and it squeaks. So uh, when I'm recording, I don't want it to be snap, snap. I'm trying to be trying to be semi professional here. <laughs> uh, mission accomplished. Uh, you got to get yourself a a gaming chair that's made out of like rolled steel. This chair weighs like 110 pounds. So the other thing I want to do for a one shot, and I've never been able to pull it off yet or figure even out how to pull it off properly is a good heist. Heists are tough. They really are. Cause if you look at like what makes a good heist movie is it's, it's snappy and it moves. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's tough to do that improv style. It is. You know, like if you handed everybody a script, I'll bet you we could do it. Like we could do like a, a, a radio play that was like a heist. But uh, like an actual role playing game. Eh. I think you could pull it off. Like, I mean, you know, you have to accept that as, as a dungeon master, like. The objective is for them to, to succeed. Yes. Right. Well, so no fun if they fail. Right. Like. And you're probably going to have to bend over a few times and 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 really work hard as a DM for them to succeed. Um, I think urgency would be important. You know, like in game, you've got 20 minutes as a group to plan this and then it's go time. Yes. Come up with your five best ideas. You know, here's the lay of the land. And then as they execute those ideas, I mean, the the ideas should sort of work, I think. But you can add layers of complication for bad roles and things like that. Yes. Yeah, it's kind of the other thing is, is that like as soon as you introduce any kind of a random element, you end up with a little bit of, uh, you know, pull the lever and hope it comes up three bars. Mm -hmm. Right. Unless unless you're you get your thumb on the scale. So, yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, with the right group, it can be done, but it's it's tough mm -hmm. to pull off. What I like about a heist is everybody has a job to do and you get to pick what what's your thing going to be i smash. your thing might be like yeah you might be oh i'm going to deal with these guards downstairs you know somebody else might be like well i'm going to woo the host and distract them and and you know do some some seducing and and diplomatic stuff or whatever i'm going to going to talk my way through this and you know, the other one can do some magic shit or whatever. Like it, <laughs> the idea that it it forces players to 
identify something that is appropriate for their character yep. and give them their time in the spotlight to do it. Yes. And, you know, it's not going to go down as planned. I can guarantee you, you're going to have to oh. think on your feet. It Never. wouldn't be fun if you didn't have to, but I, I one of these days I'm going to do it. I agree. You're going to have to find the right players. You know, the kind of players that improv well improv well and i mean there's certain you know this isn't a gripe against players if you play dungeons and dragons you're awesome in my book or tabletop of any kind you are a1 so this isn't a complaint but there are players that are more passive right like they they look to maybe the one player around the table or character in the party to assume that quasi leadership role Yes. And and they complement that well sometimes, but like when put in a situation where they need to lead, they don't know what to do. They they as players either feel uncomfortable or or don't know how to play their character in that situation. And what appeals to me about a heist is it like it forces players for the most part to to do that, right? Like you need to contribute to this. Mm-hmm. Anyway. <laughs> One day we're going to have to like plan a one shot just like on the show. Mm-hmm. Like this is what we're doing and then run it. Oh, that'd be neat. We'd probably need a guest or two. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we have players and we could, you know, hey, if anybody's listening and you want to get in on it, let us know. But the exercise for us of like trying to plan a one shot in, in a two hour episode and then. And then run it. Run it. Maybe not on the episode. We'll record it separately or something. But, uh, you know, what well, material this, we came up with, like, that's what we got to go with. That, that was kind of that kind of plays into a, a thing that and I don't know if anyone has done this. This may have happened at a convention. I've I've never been uh, I've never been to a convention. Neither have I. Uh, but like the idea of like as the dungeon master, game master, whatever, and as the players, you literally sit down at the table and as as the GM, you're handed here are some I don't know either like Dwarven Forge sort of 3D model type things, or here are some combat maps. You know, here is a summary of your players. Here is a summary of the problem. Here are three things that you have to incorporate. Go, right? Mm-hmm. And the players are handed their characters. Here's your character. Here's your motivation. Yeah. Go. So nobody's got preparation. It's a strictly a, a, an exercise in improv. Yep. Um, very, I, my, very minimal guideposts. Yep. You you do you. And then it would have to be like I was thinking because I was kind of riffing on the idea of the Iron Chef. So I would call it the Iron Dungeon. And, you know, like there would be judges for like who was the best player. Uh, you know, how did the DM do? And then you'd have like different DMs and different sets of players. And it would be kind of like a random draft. And then, you know, who was the best GM and who were the best players and which game was best. Right. And you'd have, I don't know, some kind of wacky scoring system where you get like points for this and points for that and points for the other thing. And then whoever has the most points at the end, you know, wins a chocolate cupcake. That sounds like the kind of thing I'd be uh, willing to rent a hall for and, Rent some camera equipment. Yeah, I mean, it would I be mean, a realistically, we'd probably have to do it online, but uh, yeah. Hey, that's a, that's a hell of an idea. Yeah, spinoff I mean, show. 
Yeah, um, we're six go. episodes into this, and we're we're pivoting. <laughs> the, we're, oh, we're, you, we're a D and D competition show now, people. <laughs> yeah, even even better. It's it's a drinking game, right? The drunken dungeon. Every time, every time that you know you do something that gets disapproval from one of the judges, you have to take a shot. <laughs> uh, it would get very drunk out very fast. I think we would need to have like a big gong. <laughs> right. Oh and every time you see anything like, you know, there's, you establish some taboos mm-hmm. up front. Like these are the things that you don't do. And it can be like, you know, call out some of the, the stuff that every party, you know, falls victim of, right? Like these are the, the traps that you fall into. Every and every time, time you, try you hear and tame a pet <laughs> gong, gong, everybody has to drink. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it would get drunk out fast. Have you ever seen, there's a, a TV show on the BBC called uh, Quite Interesting, QI for short. I think I've that heard was, of it, but I haven't seen it. I think I've mentioned it before. Um, it was originally hosted by Gordon Gordon. Oh God, what is what is his name? Uh, smart British dude. I'm going to have to look it up now. Uh, but it is now hosted by Sandy Toxvig because uh, he retired from the show. Uh, oh, was that the one now... that like Stephen Fry was involved in? Stephen Fry, that's the name okay, I was trying yeah, to remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Stephen Fry was the host, and the the premise of the show is is that like you don't get points for having the right answer because the questions are impossible. You get points for being interesting. And there is a buzzer that goes off if you say the obvious thing. Right. It's the same same kind of premise where, you know, like if like what's the largest animal or what's the longest animal in the world? What's the longest animal in the world? I don't know. Really? The uh, the typical answer is the blue whale, which is wrong. It's actually a jellyfish. Because it's hmm. like two and a half miles long or something. By the time you, how yeah, see, many moves see, I was, does he? I was thinking of trying to turn it into like a, a, a sloth situation, right? Like oh. long being a, a measure of time rather than distance. Oh well, yeah, twelve parsecs. <laughs> the worm is spice. Did I ever tell you about my? I know this is this is a tangent episode. Yeah, I had an idea. And it's still Uh-oh. a viable business idea, I think. I just, well, not now, because you're giving it away. No, no. I mean, you know, it would require some work. If you want to steal the idea, fine. One of the things I've learned in sort of my world is there's a whole bunch of people that do really, really well just by maintaining, like, a network of people. A network of mm-hmm. experts that, like, maybe once a year they can pull on. You know, for whatever. So I had, uh, this is going back to, like, 2009 i put together sort of a small business case for it of creating what would essentially be just like a general fact checking agency you're writing a screenplay you're doing a tv show you're writing a book you're anything right musical Mm -hmm. theater and you want to hire somebody at a reasonable-ish price to just give it a once over so that you know you avoid the things that turn into memes it's morbid time yeah, but, you know, like, you just portrayal of computers, portrayal, you know, and everybody would oh, yeah. understand, hey, 
this still needs to be entertaining. So what minor adjustments can we make? You know, just like a general consulting firm, basically. Yeah. But the name was going to be 12 Parsecs. Oh. Yeah. The classic example. Yeah. It's the ship that made the Kessel run in under 12 Parsecs. Which which actually does makes like they twisted it really well in they the expanded universe. They worked really well. They worked really really hard. Like they created a whole fucking movie in Solo just to justify that line. You know, oh, you're going to try and get out of this hellhole in a straight line instead of taking the long way. You're crazy. Okay, that, that, we get it. That was that was not invented in Solo. Mm-hmm. That was invented in one of the books. Oh, I'm in, sure it was. Like 1980 something. The point is, is everybody knows that that was something that was written into a script without much thought. It's mm-hmm. a it's a spacey sounding word. Yeah. And well, I mean, do you remember there was a thing that was going around Usenet, Google Groups, IRC, the uh, the evil overlord list? Things that I will not do or things that I will do if I ever become an evil overlord. It's like I will give oh. my minions helmets where I can see their faces so the heroes can't disguise themselves as my guards to get in. I will run all of my plans past a 10-year-old child, and if they can spot the holes, I won't do it. Because the evil overlord always has a plan that's just super easily foilable. And like it makes sense in the context of a movie. It has to be. like The heroes have to win. That's the point of the movie. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, can you make it a little less obvious, please? Like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but I mean, like, you know, I, I brought up the uh, two idiots, one keyboard scene from NCIS a few episodes ago. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, there's a prime example of, look, it's TV. I know you don't have a lot of time for, like, proper consultation. Like, throw a screenplay at somebody who can just call on some experts, turn it over in three days with some scribbles in the margins. Hey, maybe two people can't type faster. Yeah. <laughs> maybe just like do it this way instead, you know? Uh, you know what? Like here's the, and here's the thing too. And they, they portray hacking of any kind on TV or in the movies. It's always somebody smashing a keyboard. Ah! Oh yeah. Windows popping like, up faster than you can read them. It's... Oh my God. It should literally be like mission impossible actually did it pretty well. Um, or, and, and here, here is the ultimate in irony is that um, Independence Day did it perfectly. All of the hacking happens off screen. Mm-hmm. And what you get for a visual is uploading virus and a percentage bar. Well, and, and here's the, 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 the funniest thing. The movie that started off doing it really well is the movie you would not expect to do it because it is so over the top in a great way. Hackers. But that yeah. scene where at the beginning of the movie, he's calling into the, the TV station and doing some social engineering, you know, uh, can you read me the, the number off the back of that modem? You know, Mr. Kawasaki wants this done by blah, blah, blah. And then once he gets it, like, you know, I mean, he's then you wait, right? You just do your thing. Yeah, that was great. Funny. I know Office that space you know, did it really well, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean you know the real hacking as we've said before isn't overly entertaining right like it's oh it's boring as shit that, oh I, I finally after two weeks of automated probing got access to what it was that you know i found a hole now i'm gonna upload virus like you said or you know whatever it is yep. that you're doing 
and and now I'm going to go get a drink and wait for another two weeks till it does its thing. <laughs> I'm hacking the encryption. I should have it for you in 3.5 minutes. No, you won't. You'll have it in 5.6 years. And by the time that you're finished actually hacking the encryption on the thing that you need to hack the encryption on, computing power will have gone so far beyond where we are now that you could just wait and do it then. <laughs> Did we talk uh, about the scene in Swordfish? The uh, the one where he it's all numbers, but his fingers never leave the home row? Yeah, where he's got a gun to his head, a, a woman between his legs, and one minute yeah. to, I forget what it was they had him breaking into. Hi, it's so stupid. Pentagon or some bullshit. I don't know. Just sweating and mashing keys as fast as he can. Yeah, the faster that you mash keys, the faster you hack. Uh, do you remember sort of somewhat related the um what was it called just a little it was like a web utility i mean there was like downloadable applications for it where like it looked like you were programming if you just mashed keys if you wanted to like look busy while somebody was walking past your desk Oh, I have never seen that. You just code started just like building itself on your screen and all you're just doing is mashing keys every time you hit a key. Certain number it, of characters would pop up and it just <laughs> oh, I can't remember what it was called now. Do you remember the try to hack website? It was that went around for a while and it was some like some of it was super easy. Like it started off with like you view the source of the page and it gives you the password for sort of the next step. Mm-hmm. You know, and at one point you have to like reverse compile a little basic program and yeah, that was uh, that was a load of fun. I don't think that I ever got very far with it, but I did. I remember working with somebody on it. That and, stuff and I got... find so interesting too. Like the, and I know some of it gets crazy, like the Cicada thirty three hundred one stuff. Do you remember when that was? No, was going around. It got some pretty big buzz because it was like so mysterious. And if uh, let me know, I think is the. Uh, YouTube channel that has a really good just sort of like a half hour kind of breakdown of Cicada 3301. If you haven't looked into it, check it out because it's kind of cool. I mean, it's basically the same thing, like a just a, a scavenger hunt for smart people. You know, Ooh. it's not all about hacking. Like, you know, sometimes you look started off like looking at the meta on a particular image that had been uploaded to something and then it just spiraled into more Cicada complicated. 33, you said? Uh, 3301, yeah. I will make a note. So otherwise I'll forget. So I've had two drinks. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, you know, even as a as a long-time developer, I'm not talented enough or know enough for that kind of shit. Like, that's way out of my wheelhouse. But I find that interesting, not just from, like, the technology perspective, but, like, the social experiment angle of that stuff really yeah. intrigues me. I wish I was clever enough to to come up with stuff like that. You know, it's tough to make puzzles for people and also include the solution without it being either far too obvious or far too hard. Like finding mm-hmm. the sweet spot where it's solvable, but it's tough. Mm-hmm. It's real talent. I don't have it either. Yeah. And even if it's not not puzzles, like just the, the creating of a mystery stuff, I think I had a conversation with you about a almost an art project thing that I wanted to do. It was inspired by a bunch of stuff like this. And, and the one that really got me, 
thinking about like people engaging with it was uh man what's it called <sighs> the tldr was it was a youtube channel that popped up i'm trying to think of the name of it right now and i, I can't it had a goofy name they just had like colored boxes and lines would appear and some beeps and blips and stuff like that and it had that sort of like old school numbers station style appeal. People trying to figure out what is this? Is this, you know, coded messages? The TLDR was, it was basically a, a channel that YouTube themselves had set up to test like video compression shit on. Yep. So it wasn't special, but like they knew that people were in on it. So they let it go for a while. And then they, they added some videos to the channel that just made it look more suspicious <laughs> and it turned into and like some of those channels just like bloops and bloops and boxes and colors and whatnot on the screen have hundreds of thousands and i think in some cases multi-millions of views well it's uh, it's popular stuff if you've never watched gravity falls if if you avoid spoilers on the internet there's a code there's codes all over the place in the in the cartoon and some of it is is very very good some of it's super simple Right, it starts off with like there's some clues and some super simple codes, um, but if you haven't watched the cartoon, I highly recommend you do it. It is really, really good. It's got it's two seasons, um, and then it's done, and it's it's just it's it, like it finishes. It, it has an ending, and it is it, it's so many times like TV shows do that sort of uh, cliffhanger at the end of every episode thing, and you you just like oh my another cliffhanger really. Uh, this one gives you a sort of a mystery at the end of most of the episodes where you're like, I want to know what happens next, but I'm also not, you know, like I, like this episode had an ending. Mm -hmm. It's not, I, we left it open because it's, it's a cliffhanger. It's just the mystery continues or deepens or expands. Mm -hmm. Web driver torso. That is the name of the YouTube channel for anybody that's interested in following it up. Web driver torso. I will also make a note so I can go and look at it. I do remember you talking about it. Yeah. All right. I have exactly uh, one proposed pod bag topic. So I'm going to roll that bad boy. All right. You've got mail. We like to wind down the show with questions from the audience or occasionally our AI overlords. Uh, this time, like usual, we've got a question from Ian. If you'd like to submit your question, hit us up by email, podbag at nerdingundertheinfluence.com. Our buddy Ian in California says, asks, Blue Sky Thinking, you've just received $5 million from a long-lost uncle that passed away. What do you do in the short term days and in the long term years with this new opportunity? Well, question number one, because now that Ian is in California, is that five million dollars American, in which case, woohoo, or five million dollars Canadian, in which case, well, I'd buy a bag of milk. <laughs> <laughs> we'll assume five million Canadian. Um, I don't know. Like for me, I think like short term, first of all, I, I, if it's going to hit the news, I'd disappear because people come out of the woodwork once they figure out that you've got money. Yeah. I'm going to say it's not like you're winning the lottery here. It's an inheritance. So people probably aren't going to know. Well, in that case, I mean, I'd pay off my house 
and retire. That's my short term. Because nobody ever wanted to work, and I don't either. Yeah. Um, it's a bit of a boring answer. So I'm going yeah. to, like, build off this. Because my answer is basically oh, I, the same. Well, hang hang so, on a minute. You know, you know what I'd do <laughs> if I had that kind of money? Two girls at the same time. <laughs> Always wanted to do that. <laughs> what kind of chicks are going to double down on a dude like me? Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I haven't watched Office Space in years. I'm going to have to rewatch it. Me either. I still quote it on the daily. So $5 million. I mean, a million dollars isn't what it used to be, obviously, right? Like, you know, a million dollars used to be rich. And now it's like, hey, you're doing okay. Yeah. You know, you can buy a house for a million dollars if you're, you know, smart. A small house, as long as you're not in Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal, uh, Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, Anywhere with a population over 150,000 or near water. So, you know, Canada. (laughs) <laughs> basically <laughs> small town as long as you don't mind falling down yeah. or like uh well water so short term uh i would lock four out of the five million away like i need to get my hands off of it need to get my wife's hands off of it it's got to go somewhere somewhere safe you know like where where it's not gonna turn into three million in two weeks or whatever Mm-hmm. And then you'd take that 1 million and it's like, okay, we buy our house cash paid for. We yep. don't, we don't have to worry about that living expense for the rest of our lives. Pay off all our debt. Like these are the sort of boring answers. Yep. My assumption, and I'd have to run the numbers and this would be sort of the, the, the next thing after the short term stuff would be, how do I live the rest of my life off that $4 million? Like is the interest in a, you know, low risk sort of savings environment enough that if I don't have to pay a mortgage for the rest of my life and I live in Canada, so most of my health care is, is dealt with, can I live off the interest of $4 yes. million? My wife and I, I think the answer is probably yes. Now it's not going to be extravagant yes. living, right? But well, it, it's surprising. I actually, I have, I have run these numbers recently because we're uh, at work. We're uh, looking at a, a new, an actual pension plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was sort of doing a compare and contrast before I, I vote on it. And so I was looking at, uh, and again, this is like super boring shit. Oh my God. This is like accountant level math. Uh, so I was looking at like what, how much money am I going to have? Because I'm, I'm very lucky that my employer actually kicks in a, a fair, fair, good matching sort of saving plan. Um, so by the time that I retire at 65, I'm going to have roughly a half a million dollars in my retirement savings plan. Um, So I, I've been very lucky, very, very lucky. Cause I mean, I started off with basically I'm going to work until I die. And now I'm looking at it and going, I, I might be able to actually retire at 65. Like I'm going to have to be careful, Mm -hmm. right? Like I'm not going to have a lot of money, but um, if, if you have a half a million dollars and you buy a lifetime income, forget exactly what it's called because it's not a lira it's the other thing but it's basically a lifetime annuity mm-hmm. um it works out to uh like 35 or forty thousand dollars a year now that's and that's for a half a million dollars so four million dollars for a lifetime annuity like you're looking at 
like 150, 200 grand income. Okay. So let's use that number then. And I'm going to use my sort of spend a million on what you you want to sort of get out of your life and use the, the balance to, you know, get through the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. You have a house that's completely paid for. You have recurring income that doesn't require that you work your job for it. You're retired at the age you are now. Uh, let's say that it's $150,000 or $200,000 a year. Which is nice. When you're not having to pay a mortgage, like when that significant good part income. of your yeah. your expenses, like that's 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 comfortable. We've gotten to that point. The boring stuff's over. How are you going to spend your retirement now that you don't need to worry about that kind of money? Well, here's the thing: is like if four million dollars is enough, I think, because I've been I've been toying with this idea in my brain. Because I I mean I design things for a living, like actual physical things, and I've been thinking about the uh, mega buildings from Cyberpunk, right? And as much as that's like a dystopian level of thing, if you were to design something like that and like just do a continuous pour concrete building. Whoop, with a, a sort of a hollow in the middle, which is a really great design, by the way. They, they've designed a few buildings like that in like uh, sort of around the equator and they cool themselves really well. And concrete is an excellent heat sink. This is a boring answer, but I think it's a good one is that I would actually invest. I would find investors who are interested in building geared to income housing, right? And I would build mega buildings. Right, like here's a building that can house a thousand people, right? And it's not it not not super fancy, but it's nice, it's solid, it's uh, you know it's permanent. Uh, and then I would plant plants on the roof and all down the outside walls. So rather than you know here's this concrete behemoth in the middle of a concrete jungle, here's a concrete behemoth that is actually a jungle. And then. You know, you, you want to come live here? It costs you 25% of your gross income. Bang. Do I make a ton of money? No. Do I do I get rich off of that? Nope. But I'm not interested in it. I mean, do I make, I don't know, enough money to, to live my life? Yeah. Cool. Great. Let's Let's take whatever money we make and build another one. And then another one. And then another one. And maybe other people get interested in them too. And, you know, if somebody wants to steal that idea, please steal that idea. Mm -hmm. Go do it. Steal it today. No credit required. Nope. I mean, hey, if you want to send us a tip, we have, we we don't have a tip jar, do we? No. Oh, well. Watch our videos twice so that we get lots of ad revenue or whatever. I don't know how this works. We don't get that either. (laughs) Oh, oh, well. (laughs) Come play D&D with us. We're going to run some one shots this summer. (laughs) There you go. There you go. That's uh, that yeah, that's fair. your reward. That's about even. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> same, same. Well, that is a hell of an answer. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I've had this conversation with you. I think I've had it with Ian before. But I'm at that stage in my life now, and this is similar, where the idea of, like, trying to acquire crown land in the middle of nowhere, like, you know, northern Ontario. There's something right you know, over there. Yeah. And 
basically building a like a, a, a reasonably self sufficient city. A commune. Like a commune is exactly you know, yeah, like a commune. Communes work. Has their, yeah, I think there's there's you know, uh, technology is caught up to the point where like, you know, a commune now doesn't have to. It's not about getting completely off the grid and disconnecting from the rest of the world necessarily. Like modern entertainment could be available to you. Internet access could be available to you even in the middle of nowhere. You know, um, power generation will be a bit of a challenge. Like my assumption is you're, you're off grid enough where you're not going to be tapping into, to, you know, anybody's power grid and, and, and buying it, right? Like the expensive stuff. Batteries um, are the problem. Yeah. But, you know, and maybe it isn't like, you know, hey, you got power all day, every day kind of situation or whatever. But uh, I think you could lead a, a, a relatively modern, yeah. well-paced lifestyle in a commune now. The trouble is nice finding, you know, enough down. people that you, you, you know, can stand being around to do it. Jesus. Hopefully something like that would attract like-minded people, but. I don't know. I think it would probably attract a whole lot of granola munching people who don't use deodorant. No. All right. So like-minded people, really. Hey, I showered uh, twice today. <laughs> I I need a shower. I came home from golf and I thought I should ha- I should shower and then I fell asleep. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So if I didn't have to work and I had recurring income coming in, I think. The first thing I would do is like to I'd build a shop for myself, just like a makerspace where I could mm-hmm. spend a couple of years trying to do and probably failing and giving up at some of the things that I've always said I wanted to do. You know, I want to get into doing a little bit of woodworking now that I'm dorking out over some of that because I'm an old man. Um, just wait, it gets worse. You know, uh, I would like to. Hey, listen, we're neither one of us are charismatic to turn this into something successful. Maybe. Sp- speak for yourself. I'm pretty. You are kind of <laughs> pretty. Sure do got a pretty mouth, boy. Oh, well, that one time in college when I really needed the money came in handy. <laughs> I, I don't judge. <sighs> what is it that uh, George Carlin said? Selling is legal. Fucking is legal. Why isn't selling fucking legal? <laughs> no, go I with think the talents you got right. Yeah, I think with you know just my technical background, the stuff that I'm into, right? Uh, be it development, production, this kind of dorky shit. I would like to build like a like a, a shared studio type thing where people with more charisma and entertainment value than me, but maybe lack the, the technical skills um, could get in and, and create something and, and, and make something, you know, without having to, to sell their souls to, you know, big organizations that do it, the equivalent of, you know, record labels and stuff like that. Like there's, there's, there's something that boggles my mind now, you know, in, in, what I do for a living, one of the, the 
types of clients that we've run into frequently is chefs, celebrity chefs, uh, people that run their own recipe websites, things like that. People that have, you know, appeared on Food Network here and there. And it's always struck me that in, you know, an era where people are streaming video games and people watch it, like people watch other people play video games. I watch other people play video games. I watch other people play Dungeons and Dragons. Like it doesn't get nerdier than that. Why there hasn't been really successful, and I know there has been now, but really successful, like at home chef, like not quite the production quality of something you'd see on Food Network, but of sufficient production quality. And I mean, the answer to the question is barrier to entry, right? Like, the reason why gamers were the first people to take off in the streaming space is because they possessed sort of the innate technical skills. Gaming had enough overlap that something like streaming wasn't a giant leap for them. Yep. It's basically flipping a switch. Yeah. But for, uh, you know, uh, your average sort of like wannabe celebrity chef or, or, you know, 62 year old woman running a a cooking website or whatever, like that is a big leap, but it doesn't need to be, you know, it wouldn't be difficult for you to target specific sort of silos like that and essentially build kits where it's like, here's your lighting, here's your cameras, here's a box. You got to plug it in. It'll be basically pre-configured for you. And all you need to do is push this button and you're online You're going to have a big screen facing you, all the people that are watching and talking in your chat. You're going to see it. You'll be able to interact with your audience. You'll have a couple of buttons that you can push to change cameras. If you have a multi-camera setup, maybe you got a big kitchen. And when you're ready to end, you push this button. You know, reasonable canned production quality, ready to go, a little bit cookie cutter, but it's a place to start. Remove that barrier to entry where you can connect creators of a different kind with their audience without having to go through, you know, like the the future of everything isn't the food net networks and, and the MTVs and much musics of, of your record labels. Like one of the most exciting things in this world is things like podcasts and streaming. And like you see musicians now that are just, Hey, my album's online. Pay what you want. Whatever you think you can afford. Cottage industry is making a comeback. And it's so you know? good to see. Oh, and you see it, you know, even some of the more traditional craft stuff, right? Like woodworkers that now I can reasonably connect with an audience outside of my little town. Yes. So now I can make stuff and market myself or even use platforms like Etsy to sell crafts and shit like I'm doing with my artwork. You know, those barriers are broken down, but like it takes somebody with certain skills to kind of like just get their foot in the door. And I think that it wouldn't be difficult. I don't know how profitable it would be. Probably not. Which is why I'm using it in this example where I don't need to, you know, worry about the money. Build these little kits like say, hey, you want to start your podcast and you want to do it where you got video. You want a decent camera, decent microphone. Here's your entry level thing. Are you starting on an extreme budget? Okay, here's your best bang for your buck. Here's your upgrade path. Mm -hmm. 
you know, here's the free software that you can use to get started. Here's some basic instructions. Here's some basic configuration ready to go. Hit record. Hit record. Don't stutter. I was watching you. Uh, you recommended uh, H Bomber Guy to me, mm -hmm. and I've been watching a few of his videos. And he's, uh, I'm, I'm blown away by the depth of the research that he does. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was watching his uh, basically counter debunking the people who were talking about Bill Nye saves the world. Mm -hmm. Right. And there was one video that he brought up and I'm watching this and go like this guy I, and it showed like his YouTube channel. It's like he's got like, I don't know, like one point eight, seven million subscribers. And I'm like. He does not have a he never speaks in coherent sentences. Yeah. It's stutters and but I mean, he's rage farming, basically, like he's he's telling people exactly what they want to hear. So I get why he has lots of viewers, mm -hmm. but I'm thinking. Like you got to learn to talk if you're going to talk or edit that out. I mean, seriously, because his videos are edited, right? If you're going to edit yourself, edit out the bad takes and do it again. Yeah. But if you are willing to like foster a passionate, albeit small core audience, mm -hmm. That's a great thing about, you know, this world is like it they're is. willing to accept and consume authentic you. Yeah. You know, you know, there's an awful lot of, of uh, sort of doom and gloom in the world and it's presented to us on the daily. Oh, there is. And there's, I'm sure, but, a lot of balanced voices out there that just that need might... the opportunity and and there are some, but really, like the the sort of the point I was trying to drive at was is that like this what you're saying right now actually gives me a lot of uh, of of sort of hope because there are people who are willing to look at who are you, and I find that interesting, mm -hmm. right? And that that gives me hope for humanity i've said before yeah. that i have a lot of a lot of hope for the younger generations because they do we, we discussed it earlier like the stuff that we took for granted as kids mm -hmm. kids now don't take that for granted they yep. literally look at that and go that's unacceptable stop it mm -hmm. so and it really does you know here's the thing it is very much the younger generation you know yep. like when i say younger i mean not my generation, not your generation. You know, this, I, this, I don't have a generation. My generation disappeared. There were seven of us. You know, a younger generation, they have to be careful with their money, but they're also willing to spend their money to support people they like and care about. Whether yes. it's musicians, whether it's Artists. podcasters, Patreon, buying shit on Etsy, woodworkers from across the world making dice trays. You know, buy local, but local is now global, right? Yeah, your community is no longer necessarily the brick and mortar stuff that's like two blocks away. It's it's your who's niche. a click away. Yeah, yeah, it's where where do you belong in the in the internet community? Yeah, and while your niche might be an incredibly small niche globally, that it's is still a lot big. of people. Yeah. You know, and there's just, there's so many people that like, you know, I talk with people of, of older generations, younger generations that like, oh man, I would love to do something like that. But I just, I don't know where to start. Google. 
Well, and, and even then, like, you know, they have to wade through so much information. Something as simple oh, yeah. as like choosing a microphone for a podcast. Oh, Lordy. You know, I'm I, using I don't a even, headset. Yeah, I don't even have a great one. But like, you know, there's there there still is a thing where as a rule, you need to sort of hit a minimum production quality bar for yeah. something to, to really be digestible for all but like the most sort of rabid loyal fan base. Yes. You know, but that minimum bar for production quality is not what you would see on TV. So going back to the cooking show kind of thing, and this is where it was really funny is during the pandemic, when a lot of the studios shut down, I saw it's like, like Rachel Ray, for example, was doing some live streamy type stuff out of her house. And it was absolute garbage. Yeah. Like in terms of production quality, now she's a great sort of personality herself and like, but there's a lot of other people out there like her or, you know, extremely personable and charismatic and entertaining in their own ways. And all they got to do is just hit that good enough. Good enough. And I think, you know, the world would be a better place because there would be less people having to tune into the shit then. The commercial garbage. Yeah. And if I could, you know, help 10 creators do that, you know, succeed where I'm not going to succeed because I'm not overly charismatic or personable. I'm kind of a dick. <laughs> I'm glad that you've recognized that about yourself. Yeah. But, you know, I can, <laughs> I, uh, I know how to code. I can, I can build platforms that do anything you want. You want sort of a turnkey all in one solution that, Helps you do your video streaming, replaces something like Patreon for for sort of supporting you individually, make it easy for you to sell merch without ever having to worry about it. You know, here's my image. I'm selling merch, all print on demand, direct garment printing stuff. Boom. Takes care of itself. You don't got to buy stock. Somebody orders it. It gets print, gets fulfilled. You get your money. Because there are people out there who are experts at doing that. Let them do their work. Right. But connecting all of those dots, you know, you know, like that's the the other missing component, right? Even for the people that like are technically inclined is there aren't really sort of package solutions ready to go. It's, well, I I know I need to run a a podcast. Well, I got to, I got to get on Apple podcasts somehow and I got to get on Google and what's the Stitcher thing. And well, I kind of want to do YouTube too. And but like, I'm not going to get money from any one of those. So if I want to get money from my audience directly, maybe I got to use Patreon. And like, it's a lot for somebody wanting to do to break into, to try and figure it all out. And I think if I had infinite time on my hands and didn't need to worry about making money, I think that's what I would do. After I burnt I, I... myself out doing the stuff that I want to do, like, you know, try and yeah. make a big D&D table, you know, woodworking project and... Oh, I want to change my answer. Short term, I'd build a trebuchet. Because <laughs> why not? I got why time, not? I got money, I'm building a trebuchet. I'm going to launch a cow across the river. Yeah. Just, oh, uh, maybe I won't say that. Okay, just don't build a submarine. Oh. No, if I had built, I have actually built pressure vessels before. I'm pretty sure my submarine would do better. Well, but you you would know enough to say, you know what? Yeah. This might work, but there's zero chance I'm going to have anybody step foot in that. Yeah. 
Yep, like, hey, let's do some math and some calculations. Is this rated for where we're going? No? Let's not go there. Yeah. You know, there's. I know we, we're, we're a little bit more cowboyish and cavalier about space now. Uh, now that it's it's mostly a commercial industry. And don't get me wrong, SpaceX is doing amazing things. I I, I follow all the shit that they do and I'm, I'm, it's amazing. It's truly amazing. But our approach to human rated flight is the way it is for a reason. There's a few times that we've grown lax about it. And that's when things like Challenger and Columbia happen. And then yep. we realized, oh shit. And now what, what qualified as lax then is still incredibly regulated by the standards of random dude building a submarine to show people a Titanic, you know? Yeah. And, and space is easier to get to than that deep in the ocean. It is safer to get to than that deep in the ocean. Yeah. You know, like yeah. human rating a, a, a vessel to carry people into space. Like the shit that you have to go through to do that. Not just for the NASA reason. themselves, but like for commercial ventures. Like there's a reason why Boeing isn't flying Starliner right now because it's not ready. Yeah. Well, there's, I mean, it's the reason that a hammer costs $10,000. I mean, the hammer itself came from home hardware or Home Depot or wherever, your local big box mm -hmm. store. It was somebody figuring out what could go wrong with where we're storing this hammer or how we're going to use this hammer. Is there a better solution? Is this the best solution? I need to test all of these things to see what happens. Like, what if this hammer gets loose? What does it damage? What happens? Mm -hmm. Right. And all of that, all of that human time, you're paying somebody to figure that stuff out. So the hammer costs $10,000. The first hammer costs $10,000. The next one costs $500 because you got to make sure it's the same hammer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was our controversial segment for tonight. Thanks for <laughs> tuning in. Please send your angry emails to Shane and not me. Because uh, I have definitely done all of my complaining in an offline kind of manner about that situation. Well, see, you have people to complain about that stuff to at work. No, I don't. Like, this is this is my office. Like, Okay, I'm, I'm... fine. <laughs> you talk to people that are engineers i do i do people that that get that shit yeah engineers scientists phds yeah multiple phds you know, sometimes you talk to people that when you hear the you know the online meme oh you know nasa spends 10 million dollars on a pen that can write in space russia uses a pencil you talk to people that know why they went with a pen yes because a pencil causes fires and Russia didn't use a pencil. They also used a pen. Yeah. yeah. Little chips and flakes of graphite floating in a, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's never been lead. It's always been graphite. And graphite is very flammable and uh, very dangerous as a dust. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. All right, man. Well, I think that covers what I wanted to talk about today. And I'm done making stuff up. All right. Well, I mean, it's funny how or, uh, almost perfectly organically every every time at like right around the two hour mark, we just run out of stuff to talk about. Oh, I mean, I could go on forever. Honestly, I'm I'm, I'm trying to say nicely. Hey. Yeah, it's bedtime. It's bedtime. I want to still be married when I go downstairs. And also, like, I'm almost done this drink. Yeah. I only uh, brought well, two up. 
I, I actually ran out about halfway through and had to drink nearly straight gin. So <laughs> good for you. Yeah. You did say at the beginning in the beginning of last episode that it could get complicated. It, yeah. There's there's like four different bottles on my desk of things to mix together. It's like a junior chemistry set. Any minute now I'm gonna turn into the Hulk. That's great. <laughs> well, I can't wait to hear how your time with Lee Trevino's fighting golf is going. Oh god, I need to make a, a note of that. Lee Trevino fighting golf and the original fallout actually might get a little emotional playing it it's one of the only video games my dad played with me oh yeah is it better than we golf we'll find out next week oh i mean it is it's it's what when did it come out 1987 1988 like it's not it's actually was my memory of it now again i was a kid when i played it was that like this was pretty amazing at the time but you know, have you ever seen screenshots from like uh, some of the old Jack Nicholas golf games from like the. Um... Yeah, like <laughs> the Golden Tee and stuff like that. Yeah, the, the stuff from like uh, PC Junior era, you know, like stuff oh, that you're yeah. going to play on like a, a IBM AT computer and. Um... Yes. Wow. Yeah, the balls are definitely square. <laughs> um yeah and i mean this game is is very much like that too but it was you probably played i don't know if you had one or not but you probably played the golf game that was big on the game boy i think i don't played it. think that i did i had tennis and i had tetris mm, those were okay. the things i had well, my recollection is that Lee Trevino's fighting golf on the NES was better than the golf game on the Game Boy. Okay. And I spent a lot of time with the golf game on the Game Boy, too. Hmm. All right. Well, I will go and see if I can figure out how to do that and then see if I can upsample it to 2K. You can. Yep. I'm not sure that the quality improves. Nope. Certainly not. And it's amazing going back and playing some of those games where it's like, oh, wow. My recollection of this is, is that it was better, not just because of rose-colored glasses, but because it was meant to be played on a CRT. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Motion, motion blur and, and like bleeding edges of, of pixels was important. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like Lemmings or uh, what's the other one that I played? Uh there was, do you remember Comanche Maximum Overkill? I think so. Like Cirrus Logic or whatever. I remember getting that and thinking, oh man, these graphics are amazing. You're like piloting this helicopter down valleys and stuff. Then you see gameplay footage of it now and you think, oh my God, was it really that bad? Because it's awful. Go back like, and look at some awful. of the early like Microsoft Flight Simulator games. Yeah. Oh, I remember. Yeah. Your plane is basically two sticks. <laughs> But you know what was good enough for us then should be good enough for us now. And I had an onion tied to my belt, which was the style at the time. Of course. <laughs> <laughs>